Man, I'll tell you what, you know people grew up in church when they get hyped by Kirk Franklin. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Kirk Franklin's like the best rapper and singer that never raps and never sings. He's like the hype man. He's like in the back. He's like, sing it. Yeah, again, do it. Do you want a revolution? Hmm? Do ya? You know what I mean? Everybody's like, wow, he's my favorite singer. Never sings. Amazing. What an incredible day in church today, man. We are here together. It's awesome. God is here in this place. Already been an incredible time in worship. How many of you are experiencing the presence of God moving in your life, touching you today? Yes. Listen, on the way to church, I don't know if it was today or, or doing something yesterday, one of our kids said something that wasn't that bad, but it was a little bit unkind about someone else. And I said, hey guys, let's just work on being loving in the way we communicate with our own family and with other people because the world is a pretty mean place. There's a lot of cruelty and meanness in the world. And uh, we get to, to be nice and kind and share God's love with people because of what he has done in us. And, you know, I just felt from the Holy Spirit this morning as we're worshiping, just the presence of the Lord, that God loves you so much. God is for you. He is with you. A couple weeks ago, I was in prayer and I said, God, I'm really sorry because I did something that, you know, I don't know what it was. Uh, I did something that I felt like displeased the Lord and I'm, I'm like feeling bad. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. And I just felt him speak back to me. I'm proud of you. I love you. I'm for you. Like, basically, we're good. And oftentimes we have this view of God that he's angry or that he's disappointed. And I just want to tell you today from him that he's not. He loves you. Doesn't mean sin doesn't matter. Doesn't mean we don't work on our walk with the Lord, that we don't grow in our faith and grow in our maturity. Amen. But, but God's for you. He loves you. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, please don't leave this room today without meeting the Savior that we sing about today that gave his life for you and loves you and shed his blood for you. Amen? Awesome. Man, we're, we're, we're going to jump in today. We had a, a great time yesterday at the City Serve. Those of you that were there, come on, put your hands up and say, woo, woo. Yeah. We had a great turnout. And uh, how many of you like my t-shirt right here? It says, I love my church. Well, you're going to get one of these next Sunday. Everybody that's here gets one. So come to church next Sunday. You get an I Love My Church t-shirt. I love this shirt. I'm telling you, there is a deep anointing on this shirt. But I was asking Bethany, I was like, hon, do I need to, can I just wear my t-shirt to preach or whatever? And she's like, yeah, it looks great. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. But then as I was leaving my office today, I was like, wait a second. No, I need my preaching jacket. Because the preaching jacket is like, I put it on and all of a sudden I can, ha, I can feel, ha, the anointing, ha, come on me, ha, like the mantle, ha, from heaven, ha, ha. So, do you want a revolution? Woo, woo. It's my jacket. But the t-shirt is really what's carrying the saturation, the anointing. And uh, you get one of these next week. Now, some people you might see, where's Jan? Are you here, Jan? Would you, would you just raise your hand and sh or stand up real quick and show people, because you make it look good. Jan, yeah. <laughs> Boom. And uh, you might be thinking, you know, well, Pastor Jake, is, is Jan your favorite? Well, yeah, totally. <laughs> but um, the reason Jan and I have this t-shirt and a few others is because we were at the City Serve Day, and so we got them early, which, you know, if you're reading between the lines, means if you come to City Serve Day, maybe you would have also got your t-shirt a week early, but because of the grace of the Lord and the, those of you that were, you know, doing the works of the devil yesterday and not serving God... <laughs> We will graciously and humbly give you a t-shirt next I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we will give you a t-shirt next week. And so that's exciting. So be at church next week. It's going to be exciting. We are doing this series 
Love my church. I love my city. Now, last week, Bethany and I had the, the privilege and honor to be in our sister church down in La Paz, Baja, California, in, in Mexico. And uh, we were serving down there. And if you didn't know this, there are many joy churches and more to come, but there's already four or five of us now that are in existence. And, and uh, one of them is in uh, La Paz, Calif- uh, Baja, California. And so we were there last week serving there. I'm going to show you a couple pictures because we believe in serving our, the world, not just our city, not just our community. So this is at a, a recovery center for men. And I was speaking and, you know, if you had the video, you'd hear me speaking in perfect Spanish <laughs> with perfect pronunciation. Por qué, Maria? You know, like I, I was talking to, um, I was talking to Axel. That's Axel. He's there. One of the staff members there. He's an awesome man of God. And he's like, when you speak Spanish, pastor, use a heavy accent and it sounds like you know what you're doing. So, hola, como esta? Bienvenidos de la iglesia. Destino cristiano, you know. So, anyways, any Spanish speakers, did I say something legible? I don't know. Did I say something? Was that? Maybe not. I don't know. But anyways, I was speaking and she's translating for me. But what a beautiful time. Next uh, picture, please. This is at the Centro Campus. And uh, clap if you've been there before to Destino, to Joy Church in La Paz. Yeah. It's a great place, and uh, we were preaching there. Uh, that's VNA. She was translating. She did a great job. Uh, go to the next one. This is the Pedregal campus. So this is up on a hill overlooking the city, and it's a, a real poor neighborhood. And our team did a lot of work there, painting over graffiti and beautifying the, the, uh, the area there. And they, they have a storefront campus, and we were able to preach. And I'll tell you what, you know, there's maybe 150 to 200 people in the main campus in La Paz. And it was anointed. It was a good service. It was, you could feel the presence of God. But I loved preaching at Pedregal because in Pedregal, the people are very poor and they don't have anything that would give them happiness and or joy externally. What they have is a relationship with Jesus. And so the joy of the Lord is strong. Like it's an awesome place. And uh, it was just an honor to be there and preach and, and just, just connect with people. It was awesome. Next one. This is the uh, worship team there in Destino, and they were singing in perfect Spanish, and they most of them speak English too, so that's awesome. Next, uh, and this is the picture there, Destino Cristiano Campus Pedregal, and we'll, we'll stop there. But I want to encourage us, you know, as a church that we, 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 don't just, uh, we don't just give, we also go. So, you know, we love to go on, on missions and, and serve. And Bethany and I were there in, in Mexico, and one of the things that we always talk about is may, maybe we don't make a big difference when we come. Maybe it's not like, well, we, we're not coming down thinking we're really going to wow people with our wisdom or impress people with who we are in the Lord. Honestly, it transforms us so much that even if they were like, we don't need you to come, I would still go because I get something um, to, to, to see our brothers and sisters serving Christ all around the world. And so it's exciting. So that's what we were doing last week. And uh, Joy Church is all about planting churches. We're all about missions and spreading the gospel both in our community and all around the world. So that's exciting. We're in a series, as I mentioned, called I Love My Church and I Love My City. And the reason this series, ILMC, why it stands for two things, is because when you are participating in the life of the church, when you are a part of what the Bible calls the body of Christ, this community that we call church, which is not just a place we gather, but it's something deeper than that. It's not just a building. It's who we are in our shared fellowship and relationship in the blood of Jesus When you love your church and when you're a part of this, what that naturally flows into is loving your city and recognizing that we are making the kingdom of God manifest in our community. 
I want every single one of you to understand that when you are a Christian and you have, you know, received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you now carry inside of you the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And everywhere you go, you make hell tremble. Come on, when you walk into your school, hell trembles. When you walk into uh, your family, the demons tremble. They're afraid because you're bringing the power of God and the love of God and the goodness of God, and you are now an ambassador of God's kingdom. And so where you walk and where you place your foot is now the sovereign territory of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And our weapons are not swords and political power and, and economic power. Our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are love. Our weapons are God's grace. And our, and our message is the gospel that Jesus saves people, sinners like you and me. Come on. But, but we are empowered by his spirit to carry the message of Jesus and so when you love your church and when you're a part of the church and out of that community and life in the church, it takes us into a place of mission where we can say, I love my city. A lot of Christians have it wrong because they are cursing what God wants to bless. Oh, this nation's going to hell in a handbasket and it's the Republicans or it's the Democrats or it's this or that. Don't curse what God wants to bless. God doesn't want to destroy this nation. He wants to bring it into redemption. God wants, doesn't want to destroy this city. He wants to bring it to faith and redemption. Even in the Old Testament, God says, Jonah, go tell Nineveh that I'm going to roast them. I'm going to smoke them. I'm going to smite them with all my smitingness. And Jonah's like, I don't want to, I don't, but, but, but God says, go tell them so they will repent. And Jonah's like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And so he runs away, gets eaten by a fish, gets puked up and finally does it. I want to be a non-vomited out prophet is my goal. Skip that part. Do what God said. Jonah goes to Nineveh and he doesn't expect it, but when he says repent, and the king of Nineveh is like, okay, we repent. Everybody tear your clothes, sackcloth and ashes, like we're gonna serve God. And Jonah gets angry because God's like, awesome, I forgive him. That's his heart. He, he, now he eventually takes him out because they don't keep with it, right? But he, his heart is to redeem and to reconcile, so don't curse what God wants to bless. Do you love your city? Because if you get God's heart, he doesn't want to defeat or destroy or take out the city. He wants to redeem it and reconcile it and bring it into relationship with him. So what we're talking about in this series is this concept that we love our church and out of the life and fellowship we have here, it leads us into a life of mission. Pastor Kyle did an awesome job last week talking about, I will make you, I will make you fishers of men. Give him a hand. He's not just a pretty face, right, Kayla? He's not just a pretty face. He's a man of God packing the packing the word, so good. And we're gonna kind of continue in that vein today. I wanna, I wanna talk about the heart of God to move us from being fans of Jesus to followers of Jesus. And I'm gonna share a message with you today that I actually preached about three years ago uh, in, in church, but maybe uh, some of you may have heard it before, but a lot of you probably haven't. But three years ago, I, di I did this message and I felt like God put it on my heart for today. And it's called Cannibals, Crowds, and the Cross. Who's interested now? <laughs> cannibals, crowds, and the cross. We talking about cannibals in church today, pastor? We are indeed. You talking about eating people? I am. Now, let me let you into a little bit of who I am. I like weird stuff, okay? So I listen, from time to time, I'll jump on 10 o'clock at night, coast to coast AM. Any coasters? Come on, coast to coast AM? Yeah, thank you. you know, we're, we're, when you're on a road trip and you wanna be scared out of your socks, that's what you listen to. There's always a good old boy, yeah, I was out in a cornfield, 2 a.m. Arkansas, all of a sudden these demon angel aliens came out of nowhere and I was levitated off my, and you're like, oh my God. One time I was listening to this and they're in a graveyard and this person's like, we recorded ghosts and the ghost's like, yeah, I'll get you. And I'm like, oh, 
Bethany leans over because I was listening to it in bed and she taps me. She's like, turn it off. I'm like, uh-huh, 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 turn it off. <laughs> Anyways, how many of you feel like you get to know me a little better today? So I like, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in sort of the woo and the funny, the interesting stuff. And so even as a kid, I was kind of interested in the macabre and the, and the unusual. And my grandma, uh, she lived in California and I was the first grandson. And so I was the chosen one. And so she would drive up from California with a uh, tin of cookies for me and she would put her mink coat out and I would luxuriate on her mink coat. And uh, riding in her van with her, she, she, would, she had books on tape. How many of you that are over the age of 40 know what a tape is, right? As a, I'm actually under 40. And I know I look over 40, but I am under 40. And, but I know what a tape is. I actually have purchased tape. If you have purchased with real dollars a tape, raise your hand. Awesome. Okay, so this is a mature congregation. So for those of you who are under the age of 30 or something, a tape is like an, an MP3 that works worse. Uh, and you have to listen to the whole thing and then rewind it. And it's, anyways. Anyways, my grandma would listen to books on tape. And so she had a book on tape that was in her van that I got really into. And it was this book called Alive. And the story of Alive is about an Uruguayan rugby team that crashes in the Andes Mountains. And they are, it's a, it's a survival tale. And so basically the guys are like, hey, we're going to die. If I die, you can eat me. And that's the general gist of it. So you don't have to listen to the 25 hours or whatever. And so it's a story about cannibalism and survival and all of that. Kind of weird. Don't worry. We'll keep it weird the rest of the message too to match this tone. So anyways, I got really into that. And so later on, as I'm reading the scripture, um, I was always fascinated, not with the eating people part, but just the survival and all that in case you are wondering. But as I'm reading the scripture, I, I see in the teaching of Jesus and in, the, in the, the ministry of Jesus that he actually has a cannibal moment himself. And so it was interesting to me, and we're going to talk about this cannibal moment today. It's found in John chapter 6. And I want to encourage you to read John chapter 6, the whole chapter, and hopefully you read the whole Bible as well, but get away from taking a verse a day like you take a vitamin C a day or a multivitamin because to understand scripture, you can't pull things out that fit your agenda or pull things out that maybe make you feel better or encourage you. What we want to see is what is God saying through the context and the, the, the depth and the breadth of this story, this narrative that's happening. And so to see the whole context. And in John chapter 6, we actually have a really powerful theological treatise happening. Um, the writer of John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John the Apostle, is actually giving us a window into the person of Jesus and how he wants us to relate to him and to see him in juxtaposition to how the people then and the people now are tempted to see and to view and relate to Jesus. Okay, that was a lot of words, but I'll make it clear. So I, I, want, I would like you to read John chapter 6 because in John chapter 6, you could probably sum it up with one word and it's this word. Are you ready for it? This is a deep theological truth. Everybody lean in bread. Okay. This is second service. We talk about food in second service. We did it in first service and made him wait, but Jesus has multiple conversations and revelations regarding this concept of bread. Now let me set the, let me set the table for you on John six. And then I encourage you again to read it because it's so rich in John chapter six. We have the telling of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you remember this story? Jesus is out there in the wilderness and he's healing people and he's teaching and people were interested in him. And so great crowds, multitudes, it says, were coming to him. And at this particular event, they're out in the mountains of Galilee 
and they're out in the wilderness and there isn't a Chick-fil-A and there isn't a Popeye's and there's no in and out you know, and there, it's, there's nothing there. And there's all these people and Jesus tells his disciples, hey, they're like, Jesus, maybe we should sort of wrap up the service because people are hungry. And he's like, feed them. And they're like, okay, cool, we, totally. We, we totally wanna do that. It's just, how, you know? And Jesus says, well, what do you have? And so they find this boy and one of Jesus' disciples brings this boy and he has a few loaves and a few fish. How many of you know this story? And they give it to Jesus and what does he do? He goes full out, Jesus mode, supernatural, superhero, and he multiplies the, the loaves and the fish and he feeds this multitude, 5,000 men and then a bunch of women and children. So anywhere between five to 20,000 people, Jesus multiplies this, this food and he feeds this multitude. And, and, and obviously everybody's excited because who doesn't like free lunch, right? And bread is awesome. Bread is just awesome. I'm sorry if you're gluten-free, God will heal you. The rest of us, without shame, we're going to eat bread right now and just participate in the kingdom of God right now. Garlic bread, Cheddar Bay biscuits at Red Lobster. You know what I'm talking about? The good, yeah. Going to, to the nice sandwich place, getting bread. It's awesome. Anyways, people are excited because Jesus gives them bread. He feeds them. But then we hear, we, we see what they try to do. So they're excited that Jesus is doing miracles. They're excited that he's giving them bread. And this is really a picture of fulfilling their natural needs. You got to understand these people that are coming to Jesus by and large are subsistence level people. They're fishermen, they're farmers, they're workmen, craftsmen, they're poor. They're coming from villages. There were some rich people mixed in, but generally this crowd that's coming to see Jesus and coming to be ministered to, they're sick. They, that's why they're there, to get healed. They, they have problems. They're ruled by this brutal empire, Rome. There's a lot of issues. And so they're excited like we would be if somebody started to make it rain. You know what I mean? Some of you all are feeling this way with student loans being forgiven and the rest of us are mad at you. But anyways, um, <laughs> anyways uh, Jesus starts making it rain. And we're like, woo, yeah, praise the Lord, you know, and, and they're excited. So then they're like, you know what, let's make Jesus king. Because there was buying votes even then. Okay, sorry, I'm going to keep moving on. But anyways, Jesus, they're like, let's make him king. Let, let, he, he's, he's fulfilling our needs. He's meeting our needs that we have. He's giving us bread. And so Jesus is like, look, I didn't come to be king because my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. My kingdom uh, is, 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 it transcends this world. The kingdom of God isn't about, Jesus isn't trying to become president of the United States or prime minister of England. He's not trying to become the president of the school board. He's not trying to become a titan of industry because he's the king of kings. His kingdom is not of this world. It transcends this world. It's over this world. And his followers need to tap into that reality. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I'll come back. And so Jesus, they say, we want to make you king. And so he splits, okay? He leaves, he gets on a boat, and he and his disciples make their way across the lake. In John 6, we see this miracle where another revelation of Jesus, that there's a storm, and his disciples are freaked out, and then Jesus calms the wind and the waves. So not only can he make bread come you know, out, like not only can he multiply loaves and fish, but he also demonstrates that he's the, the Lord of nature, that he's over the wind and the waves. And so that's another revelation of Jesus, which helps us to, to get past this, this, that he just provides the natural things that we need, okay? He's, he's bigger than that, grander than that. He gets to the other side of the lake, and the multitude meets him there. It's because they're like, where's the bread guy? Where's the, the breadstick guy, you know? Well, he went across the Sea of Galilee. Now, 
being in Israel, I was there a few years ago, the Sea of Galilee is not that big. So if you hoof it, you could get around in time, right? And so this multitude realizes Jesus has gone across the lake and they chase him around the lake. And when he gets to the other side, they're there and Jesus confronts them. And this is what he says, paraphrased. He says, you are only looking for me because I fulfilled all of your needs. I fulfilled you with bread. In other words, you got free lunch. You, 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 my, I met your needs. I healed the sick. I gave you this feast and you want to make me king. You only want me because I met the needs that you perceived. But what he says next is where we're going to jump in. In John chapter 6, verse 47, because this is where we go deeper. Jesus wants to take us beyond a consumption level of life where everything that we're focused on and everything that we relate to him is simply, is he meeting my needs right now? Do I feel good? If I feel good, it must be God. If I feel bad, it must be the devil. This is a very primary way of thinking. And he's trying, Jesus is trying then and also today to get us to think at a deeper level about what God really wants to do. And so Jesus says in John chapter 6, verse 47, let's read it together. Not out loud, that's uh, weird. Let's just read it in our heads, but I'll read it out loud. Okay, he says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. So again, we're talking about bread, but this is a different level. He says this, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Now you got to go back to the Old Testament. What did they call manna? They called it bread from heaven or heaven's bread. And so these Jewish people, their entire history, they remembered God gave us bread in the wilderness to sustain us as he led us on our journey. And now here's God showing up again, giving us bread from heaven, the multiplied bread. So they're pretty excited about this. And Jesus says, but you're not actually seeing it as you need to see it. Because yes, your ancestors got bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. They all died. He says, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. And this is where everybody that was playing on their phones looks up. Did he, did he just say the word flesh? Are we allowed to say that in church? It even sounds dirty. Flesh. You know what I mean? It's like a weird sounding word, flesh. You know, when you're eating, you don't be like, you don't go to the barbecue joint and be like, can I get the, the plate of flesh, please? Thank you. <laughs> With the flesh sauce, thank you. You know, we call it fancy things like barbecue <laughs> and carne asada. Jesus says, you got to eat my flesh. And this is the cannibal moment here. And then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Like, how is this even possible? What is he saying? And Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of, flesh of the Son of Man. And now he ramps it up another one. And drink his blood. Oh, wow. We went full coast to coast AM right now. Now we're not only about eating flesh, cannibals, but now we're talking about vamp vampires drinking blood. I could have called this message cannibals, vampires, crowds in the cross, but vampires doesn't start with C. So as a good pastor practicing alliteration, cannibals, crowds in the cross. You're welcome. Anyways, Jesus gets, takes it to another level. It's even more weird. He says, you have to drink my blood. And now they're like, uh, okay. And he says, you cannot have eternal life within you, but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. 
For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds, sorry, my notes are going crazy, who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. What's Jesus saying? The natural bread that I give you I'm happy to give it to you. Just like God gave you bread from heaven to feed you in the wilderness, Jesus says later in other passages, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. God, who takes care of the birds and the lilies of the field, he knows what you need. Just pray and he's going to give you what you need. God is more than happy to take you to Red Lobster and give you the Cheddar Bay Biscuits. God is more than happy to provide for us. Those of us that trust God in the area of finances, we know he takes care of us. Those that trust that we trust God in the area of our health and, and our life and our well-being, like he is a good father. He is a provider. But Jesus is saying when you confuse the gift with the giver, you miss the actual point. Because it's not about the bread you eat that feeds you for an afternoon. It's about the bread of life that gives you eternal life forever. And he says this message and he's telling them, you only wanted me. You really only are seeking me here on the other side of the lake because I filled you with bread. But here's what I'm really doing. Here's what I'm really about. You've got to go all in. Now, even though it's fun to think about people thinking Jesus was teaching cannibalism or whatever, I would like to maybe burst that bubble a bit. I don't think the people of this time were any less intelligent or sophisticated in their use of human language than we are. They understand metaphor. They understand figures of speech. We never see in the New Testament any of Jesus' followers ever literalistically taking this teaching and eating flesh or drinking blood or whatever. We hear this, and I think what we are understanding through the use of metaphor and language, they understood as well. What Jesus is saying is not that you actually physically take a bite of my arm or something. He's saying you've got to go deeper with me. It's got to go beyond the bread that you ate on the mountainside for an afternoon, the nice loaves of bread and fish that you were fed. And it has to become something where you're all in, that not only are you receiving me as provider, but you're receiving me as Lord. You're receiving me in, my, my, in, in all that I am. And this is where the reaction comes in. What we see in John chapter 6, and Jesus is actually teaching this now at a synagogue in Capernaum that he's there and he's giving this message and he's telling them, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. And the disciples around Jesus, now we often will confuse this term and I'll just bring some clarity on this. When the New Testament talks about disciples, sometimes it's talking about the 12, Peter, James, John, right, these guys. But many times it's actually referring to this broader group of people that were known to be with Jesus that were marked as his disciples. The 12, you could more accurately say are the apostles. They were the 12 selected men you know, that Jesus picked to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and that he was going to use to you know, be the apostles of the church, and we can go into that. But there's a larger group around Jesus of at least 72 people because the 72 get sent out in the New Testament. We know there was a, a women that were with them, other men. Uh, even some of Jesus' apostles were probably teenagers. It's thought that James and John were maybe 14 to 18 years old at this time. So they're not full grown, they're younger. So Jesus has this group of disciples, and it's this larger group, this kind of second tier of people around Jesus that in this moment, they're the ones that John 6, it tells us, they begin to like, they're disturbed by this. 
that they're upset by this. Now, maybe they were upset because they thought Jesus was preaching cannibalism. I don't think so. I think what they were upset with is that they had an agenda. They had a vision of Jesus and all of a sudden he burst their bubble. He took away their lollipop because he wasn't just gonna be their political Messiah. He wasn't just gonna be the bread maker. He wasn't just gonna heal people, uh, heal the sick like a, like a vending machine where you put in you know, an amen or a hallelujah and out comes a healing, ha ha hallelujah. You know? That's not what he was doing. God does heal, God does provide, but that's not the full mission of the kingdom of God. Because your needs that get met today, you'll have them again tomorrow. He's actually wanting to do something more fundamental. He's wanting to transform you and redeem you from the inside out and give you participation in the life of the resurrection. And this is what Jesus is inviting. And so these disciples, they say this, literally they say, this is a hard teaching. This, 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 this challenges us. This is a hard teaching to get a hold of. And Jesus says, are you offended? And then it says, many of his disciples deserted him. Jesus constantly does things that a good pastor shouldn't do. He shrinks his church. You know, sometimes I'm like, Jesus, I could teach you a few things about how to keep, you know, if you were just less political, if you were just more kind, if you just talked, if you just gave more platitudes, and if you just kept slinging bread like Spider-Man slinging webs. But he actually was trying to save the world, not just build a following, not just build a fandom. Man, our world's full of fans of Jesus. Oh, he's great, great moral teacher. Oh yeah, Jesus, oh yeah, love. Ooh, whatever that means. But Jesus says, wait a second, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. So these disciples are like, this is a hard saying. And he looks over at Peter, one of his apostles, one of these disciples, he says, Peter, are you gonna leave? And Peter says, no, because who else would I go to for the words of life? What other hope, what other answer, what, what, what philosophy, what religion, what worldview do I turn to that, that not only meets my needs and feeds bread, because the bread's cool. Let's not mistake that the bread is cool, but the bread of life is cooler. The bread of life is the point. Because see, sometimes when Jesus doesn't magically web-sling bread, that's when you have to have faith in his goodness and his character and in the eternal life of the resurrection. In the last two months, we, we, we buried two of our dear, beautiful, incredible saints. And I hate that. And I wanted Jesus to magically web-sling bread, heal him, make it go away, make cancer go away. And the magic web-slinger didn't fly. And you know what? Every single family that was going through that and, the, and those of us that we're in this process, what we said is God is good even when I don't get what I want because those saints partook of the bread of life. And if we move beyond the consumption of the now, we get to participate in the eternal and in what God is doing. And so Jesus says, are you going to desert me, Peter? He says, no. Who would we turn to? Who else has, who else has the, the words of life? But here's the message for us. Jesus is saying, you've got to go all in if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not a halfway in, halfway out. It's something where you have to say to this level of even the, the, the macabre word picture that he uses, would you consume? Would you drink? Would you partake? Would you, would you, would you share essences? Would you blend? Would you do something that even is a little shocking in the word picture to, to indicate the depth of what it means to follow Jesus? It's an all in type of a thing. And now we fast forward to the, to the crowds and the cross piece of this message. We're talking about crowds. 
talking about this group of disciples that, that deserts, and then this inner core. Always in the New Testament, we see concentric circles around Jesus. There's always a multitude, a crowd of people that are interested, but not committed. Then you have people that are committed, but they're not necessarily all in. And then you have the people that are really all in with Jesus. We see those same concentric circles in our day and age today. In fact, you don't have to like identify who you are, but in this room, I would imagine we have those that are really all in with Jesus. And you're like, yeah, like this is, I'm in. We have others that are like, I'm in. But this is a hard teaching. I'm in, but there's some things in my life where if Jesus didn't, he really needs to meet my need here. And maybe you wouldn't even say this out loud, but in your heart, you know that if you lost something or something didn't go the way you want, your faith is really not that strong. It's not really that you're all in with Jesus no matter what. It's just convenient now or or fun right now or whatever. And then you have people that are the crowd, the seekers, those that are watching or observing and maybe interested in what Jesus can do for them, but not necessarily perceiving or, or understanding who he really is and, and what, he's, what he's asking of them. What I would say is this, what level you are, all, all the, the, the messages is take the next step towards Christ. See, I'm not criticizing you if you're in the crowd. Every single person that came to follow Jesus, whether in his ministry or after he rose from the dead, started in the started in the circle of observers like who is this Jesus guy what's he all about and maybe you're here and you're kicking the tires on faith and you're asking questions and you're like I don't exactly know if I'm a Christian or not or I don't even know if there's a God like good for you for being here today or listening online or whatever and we I would love to talk to you help you understand what it means to be a Christian understand maybe if you have questions answer those questions because God is not afraid of honest doubt the thing that God does not do well with is intellectual dishonesty, where you actually know that what you're believing in or following is not good, and yet you persist in it stubbornly, and God says, well, I'm revealing myself to you, and then you just ignore it. That's a different thing than somebody saying, I have questions, and I I would like them answered, but I'm open to the possibility of what God is asking of me. So wherever you are in this concentric circles, we see this in the ministry of Jesus. And as we move in the narrative and in the story, we, we fast forward to the place of crucifixion, to the place of the cross. I want to show you a picture. Uh, This is a deeply spiritual, incredible picture. It'll blow your mind. Um, How many of you are just wowed? You you can't even imagine this vista. Uh, This is the place that Jesus was probably crucified. So this is actually a picture from Jerusalem. Uh, I was there a couple years ago, and we were at the place that is most likely, and again, we say most likely because we don't actually know. You know, they didn't have plaques. The Romans didn't put a plaque like, here, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified. So all the Christians can come and be like, oh, you know, they didn't do that. So that was an amazing joke. I got like three chuckles, but I'll keep trying. (laughs) So uh, this is next to a place that was potentially Golgotha, and it it fits the bill of the biblical narrative. And now it's a bus yard. uh, So that's what it is. But the reason I wanted to show you this is because this, this is right outside of the wall of Jerusalem. This is right on a place where two major roads intersected and right where the city gate was. And this Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Empire that, that was responsible for crucifixions, you got to understand something. They used crucifixion as a brutal tool of, of pain, torture, and humiliation to create the deepest fear and terror of ever crossing them that they, that they could do. They, this, the, the, even our word excruciating means out of the cross, ex cruce in Latin, out of the cross. 
And Jesus was crucified, not in like some kind of nice Christian postcard up on a green hill, looks like Ireland. He's in pain, there's a trickle of blood, but he has a smile on his face because he loves you. No, he was stripped naked. They pulled the hair from his beard. They ripped the hair from his head. They put a crown of thorns on him. They beat him so bad with the cat of nine tails, that, that scourge, that he probably would have died even if they didn't crucify him. They say that 39 stripes was what he took because 40 would, instant, would kill you because your organs were exposed and all of that. Uh, here is our savior and he's brought to not a hilltop but a crossroads. He's brought to this place, Golgotha, it was a rock quarry, looked like a skull, but it wasn't off alone in the distance. He was actually brought to a public place. And this is what we see in the biblical account. Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified in John 19. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He comes to the place of the skull. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, Listen to this, what the biblical writers tell us. The place where Jesus was crucified was where? Near the city, not far. They didn't take you out to the field to die with the birds in your ears and the gentle trickling of the creek. No, they put you where everybody could see you, near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek so that, what does it say? Many people could read it. In other words, we want everybody to see what we're doing to this person. Luke, in chap verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 35, says this, the crowd, not 10 people, a crowd, the crowd watched and the leaders scoffed and they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Now, why am I making such a point to emphasize crowds and, and this public place and my microphone going crazy? Here's, here's why. Because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, as he hangs on the cross and he's naked and, and, and this place of humiliation, suffering in this exact moment when the Son of God is crucified and his blood is shed on this cross, this is a real, tangible, historical moment. There were not 10 people or 50. There were hundreds or perhaps thousands. There was a crowd. Always around Jesus, there was a crowd. And the crowd is watching as the Son of God is crucified. And the very blood that would pay for their sins was being shed and dripping down a real wooden, rough Roman cross. And yet, even though they were seeing and observing their, their very salvation being provided for them, they did not partake of it. They did not see it. They did not understand. And it's the same today. Because we are presented with the evidence. I don't have time today, but I'd love to sit with you and go through all of the historical evidence of the historical personage of Jesus Christ, of the historical moment he lived in, and the fact of even his enemies and secular historians that said, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth lived this time. He did miracles. He was crucified. Like, this is not for, other than people who are basically at a level of a poached egg or whatever, do not deny that Jesus was a historical figure. Jesus whether you accept who he is theologically is a different story, but he did live and he did, was crucified by the Romans and we know that historically. Jesus is giving his life and there's crowds that are observing, but they don't partake. And the question that comes to us today is this, are you part of the crowd or are you moving in 
and partaking of him. Because even today, we can be presented with the evidence of the cross. We can be presented with the evidence of the resurrection. We can be presented with the truth of the Christian faith in juxtaposition to other philosophies and worldviews and religions and all of that. And yet we can still say, feed me bread. Jakey hungy. <laughs> Satisfy my needs. All I want is the, is the, is, is the, 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 the temporal fulfillment of what my agenda, my needs are, and whatever bread is for you, you can fill in the blanks. And Jesus says, I have something more for you. And even those people that were gathered around didn't see it happen. Now, do you think anybody in that crowd potentially had been on a mountainside in Galilee, maybe a few years before, two years before, out of that crowd? Do you think any of the people in that crowd had been there a week before when Jesus was hailed as the Messiah coming into Jerusalem and they're singing Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're excited. They think he's going to save the city. And, and now they're part of the crowd that gets to watch the Son of God, the Lamb of God slain, and that blood that is what we sing about, what can, what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you think it's possible that anybody in that crowd had actually eaten bread that Jesus gave them? Do you think anybody in that crowd saying Hosanna? I do. And I also believe some of those people in that crowd ended up becoming followers of Jesus. Because when that man that was crucified and ashamed and humiliated and broken was put into a grave three days later, according to, uh, 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 to what he had predicted and said would happen, that stone was rolled away, death was defeated, and a savior, not a criminal on a cross, but a king resurrected, stepped out of a throne and kicked death to the curb. And those people that said, we can't deny, because over 500 of them saw him resurrected, said we were in the crowd watching him die, but now we get to be in the church who sees him alive. Amen. Now we get to be part of the church that sees the life of God, the resurrection of God, the, the, the life of Christ, who's partaken of the bread of life. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching better than you are amening today. Like, they get to be a part of seeing that. Out of that crowd, they became followers of Jesus. Not just consumed with consumption, not just consumed with, can you feed my needs today on an afternoon, but man, I'm in because who else would I go to that has the words of life? Like Pastor Andy Stanley says, the guy who dies and rises from the dead, according to what he said, happen, I'm going to listen to that guy. Who else would do for the words of life? And so the question is this, are you part of the crowd or all in with Jesus? How do we move from consumers in the crowd to contributors in the kingdom of God? Three things and we'll go eat something delicious because I know what you want. We're going to go out, pizza, sandwiches, Italian restaurants, bring that bread. We have it in our mind. It's been programmed today. Three moves to make real quick. Number one, move from spectator to participant in your relationship with Jesus. You know why I love coming to church? Because I just get to do with all of you what I do by myself, which is participate in my relationship with Jesus. The same presence of God that's here on a Sunday, you can have that in your time with the Lord. Man, get into the word of God, get into worship, get into prayer. If you need help with that, we'll, we'll disciple you, we'll help you. We have a book, I wrote a book a few years ago called Rocket Fuel. It teaches spiritual practices and how to have a devotional life with God. And, and, and we give it away for free in the church app, the, uh, the Joy Church app. You can get it for free. It's audio book. It's short. And uh, it's there. Um, if you want to get it on another thing, we have copies of it and stuff. But it's there for free. You can learn how to have a relationship with Jesus. Don't be an observer. Be a participant. Don't be a spectator. 
Number two, move from spectator to participant in church. Being here, worshiping together, community together, serving and giving. I wish, I mean, I might preach on this next week, but the church is God's plan for the world. We are the vehicle by which God's redemption and the kingdom of God is ushered in to the here and the now. We are those, those emissaries and ambassadors, as the scripture tells us, asking people to be reconciled to God, sharing the gospel, making our world that has a, has a trend towards the, the hellacious nature of man, and we want to get it trending towards the heavenly nature. We want to get it trending towards the, the, the people that don't have fathers and mothers having fathers and mothers, people that are brokenhearted having healed hearts, people that are broken and sick and poor and destitute bringing brought into dignity and prosperity. Come on. And so God has chosen this vehicle, the church. It's not just some place we go. We, we go there and we live it out visibly, but it's something deeper than that, universal and spiritual, and we need to move from spectators to participants in church. Number three, move from spectator to participant in the mission of Jesus. As I often say, there is no such thing as a disciple of Jesus that doesn't make disciples. There is no such thing as someone who hears the words of Jesus as he told his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. You can't ignore that command that was given. Therefore, we say this is what Jesus has called us to, a life of purpose and a life on purpose. And we, we have a job that we go to on Mondays in the world, right? But we also have spiritual purpose and kingdom purpose to make disciples. So whether you get a paycheck as a pastor or a paycheck as a plumber, you have spiritual purpose to make disciples. And you get to do that in the way that God's wired you to do it. But what does that mean? Pastor, are you saying invite people to church? Yes. Pastor, are you saying invite people over to my house, share my faith? Yes. Are you saying be nice to people? Yes. Are you saying, I'm saying it all, live on mission. Every day say, Jesus, let your kingdom come and your will be done in me on earth as it is in heaven. And just ask this question. It's a dangerous prayer. Lord, what would you have me do today? And then listen and then obey. And you're on mission. Come on, making disciples. There is no such thing as a professional Christian. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as a professional Christian. Well, what about you, Pastor Jake? You get a paycheck from the church. You're like our, our pastor. Yeah, I don't make disciples as a pastor. I make disciples because I'm a disciple. I preach and equip and build up the body of Christ as it says in Ephesians chapter four, why the fivefold ministry gifts are given to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. But I make disciples because I'm a disciple. You make disciples because you're a disciple. Are you in are you, or are you in the crowd? Because if you're not in the crowd, if you're moving in and you're partaking of Jesus and the fullness of who he is, then you're called to live on mission. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for this word today. Pray, God, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive it and be good soil, God. Let it produce great fruit in our life. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. Just one minute. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not a follower of Jesus, but I want to. I don't want to be in the crowd. I want to be, I want to be a disciple. I want to follow Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity today to make that decision and start that journey. Now, I don't believe being a Christian is you pray a magic prayer and it's like magic beans that take you up to fairy tale castles in the sky. What I believe is that you can take a step of faith in a prayer today and begin a journey of following Jesus that lasts a lifetime. And it means two things. Number one, receiving his forgiveness for your sins. We talked about the cross. Actually 
happened in history 2,000 years ago outside of Jerusalem, right at a crossroads. The Savior of the world was crucified and his real blood poured out and it was received by God as payment for sin. You can receive that forgiveness today. Number two, the resurrected Savior is the Lord of all creation. The scripture tells us that when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So for Christians, there's two two Jesuses, it's just one person, but we serve the two aspects, the forgiver of sins, but also the Lord of all creation. And so we receive Jesus as both Lord and Savior. And so today, if you say, I need a Savior and I need a Lord, I'm gonna put my trust and faith in him. This is your moment. You can start that journey today. If that's you and you wanna make that decision, would you raise your hand so I can see? I'm not gonna call you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. Thank you. I'm not gonna, thank you so much. I'm not gonna embarrass you. We're just gonna pray together and then Lori's gonna give you some, some, a card that she'll tell you to fill out and you can take some next steps because we wanna walk on this journey following Jesus together. Let's pray this prayer, all of us together. Dear Jesus, I put my faith and trust in you. Thank you for the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.